Today's the last Sunday, last part of our series, Moving Mountains. And uh, I'm just going to give you a quick recap if you've been with us. Week one, we talked about uh, what Jesus meant when he said that we should have faith the size of a mustard seed. And then we talked about the three parts of the person, if you remember, the spirit, body, and soul. And, uh, and we talked about having a pure kind of faith. And then the week two, we talked about clearing our lives of things that appear to be useful. We all have those things that appear to be useful in our lives. And, but, uh, you know, they're unnecessary. Just occupying space, taking up room. And I encourage you to, uh, to get rid of some of those things and let them go and live by faith. And then last week, Pastor Alini delivered a powerful, powerful message talking about faith barriers. If you haven't watched it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it on, on the podcast or, or watch it uh, on our website or YouTube channel. And uh, this week, we're going to continue. We're going to close the series with a message that I believe is part of our vision. It'll bless you. It's part of where we're going uh, in this 2023 year uh, and uh, as, as we mentioned before, today is our eighth year as a church. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, we're young, we're young. Yeah, you can celebrate, we can celebrate. Um, and I, I, I'm super expectant. I can't tell you how expectant I am about what God is going to do to us, through us, in us, uh, in this year. And I know that you're going to be part of it because he's called you here. Um, but eight years is young compared to some of the churches who are, you know, bicentennial in this area. I remember visiting a building uh, in North Stanford, uh, a little church building that's been here since before America. So, yeah, it's been here since before we were a country uh, in the 1600s uh, that that church was erected and it's still there. And so comparatively, we're, we're young, but eight years is not nothing. Eight years is significant. Eight years means we have fought some battles and we have suffered some losses. And we have had some victories too as a church. Um, we have said goodbye to some loving people that uh, we will meet in heaven. And we have welcomed new people. In fact, we've had ten weddings in these eight years uh, of people here who are part of the church. We've had at least 15 babies be born that I counted. Uh, and by the way, I think my wife and I were the largest contributors, guys. Uh, yes, yes. We're not married for no reason. Uh, and uh, we've been to three locations where we've, been, we've met uh, as a church for Sunday service. But we've also had meetings in houses, warehouses, other churches, restaurants, bars. Yes, if a bar will have us, we will meet at a bar. And, and praise the Lord at a bar. Uh, and, and we've been in halls um, just to build community and to be connected with each other. And all that we've done thus far, uh, Alini and I have led as pastors, but as a team, all that we have done as a team, uh, we, we lead from a collaborative spirit. We love having a, a team that leads and not, and not just be, you know, about she and I. But we have not done this because we're trying to grow an organization. Well, there's an entrepreneurial side of starting a church and leading an organization and, and man, money management and business and staffing and training and leadership and all that. But it, we're not trying to grow an organization or, or trying to get the, the Connect Community brand, that awesome log logo that we have everywhere in our community. 
You know, we're not trying to, to get these auditoriums like this packed. We are, but not just so we can say, hey, it was packed today. You know, our goal, uh, even though these other things might happen, our goal is, as a church, is to stay focused on our mission. Our goal as a team is to believe and move through our God-given mission, what God has called us to do, which is to connect, to connect you and others to God, to other people, and to their purpose. That's what God has called us to do. Our commission is to call you higher so that you can be committed to higher things, so that your mind can be connected to higher things. It's to encourage you and others to focus on the things that are above. It's to encourage you to repent, to actually repent. You know, repent is a word that has been abused in some church circles. And if you've been in church circles where the word repent has been misused and abused, um, I'm sorry. Uh, just re re receive my apology because you might may never get an apology from the, <laughs> of the other people. I don't mean to step in any toes. Um, <laughs> But when we talk about repentance, we're not talking about, you know, you got to feel bad about who you are because you're a terrible person and you messed up, man, and just, you know, be in the mire of your own misery. That's not what repentance is. Repentance, the word repentance uh, means to change your mind. It comes from the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind. I used to think this way and now I'm going to think this way, which means you actually have to take your eyes off of you. And the first words of Jesus when he introduced his ministry were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we do encourage you to repent, and every Sunday we preach repentance. Every Sunday we encourage you to change your mind. Because that's what Jesus was saying. Hey, there's a better way. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to move forward. There's a better way, so you've got to change your mind because there's a higher way. Heaven has come, and we get to live for God. That's what Jesus introduced. And that's why we have persisted in our city through highs and lows. That's why we have persisted in our, in our mission. And that's why our team is excited. I mean, I wish you were there on, on Wednesday when we met together. Everybody's excited. We're excited to see God move in our church, in our city. In our city. Because there's more people to reach. Your friends, your co-workers, people you don't know. There's more people to connect to God. So let me ask you, who's calling you higher in your life? Who in your context is calling you higher? Who is calling people higher in your world? We all know that there are plenty of things calling us lower, right? There are plenty of things in the world dragging you down, pulling you down. There are plenty of efforts being made for you to get into debt. Just spend a little more today. Just, just $30. Charge it, you know? Just, just $2.99. $2.99. There are a lot of sales, a lot of things trying to get you into debt. There are plenty of opportunities for you to lie. They present themselves to you. There are plenty of encouragement for you to cheat in different areas of your life. There are plenty of temptations, temptations for you to engage in. Immoral things, illicit things, unhealthy things, things that make you betray who you know you are and who you know you are made to be and who God has called you to be. Those things are there. They exist. And they're all there trying to pull you down. 
but who or what is pulling you up? Who is calling you higher? I want to remind you that Jesus came so that you could live a higher life. I want to remind you that Jesus came so you could have a life more abundant, a life of meaning, a life of peace, that you may fight the right battles, not the nonsensical, pointless strife that the enemy sows into your life between your friends and your family members and, and your spouse and your kids. Not that nonsensical thing that just comes to take out your peace, but the battles that, ma that, that matter, the fights that matter, that, that God has called you to overcome your enemies, to bring victory over your enemies, to conquer your shortcomings. We all have shortcomings to conquer. And that God has called you to overcome your bad habits. He has called you to overcome the world. Look at what John writes. John writes about John the Baptist and Jesus. Luke chapter, actually Luke writes, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 3, <laughs> look at what John writes in Luke. <laughs> look at what Luke writes about John the Baptist uh, and about Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, he's talking about John the Baptist, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This prophecy is about John the Baptist. And then this is the prophecy about Jesus. Every valley shall be lifted, shall be filled, and every mountain hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's what Jesus came to do in your life, to make the crooked path straight, to make the valley be filled up, and to move mountains in your life, to make sure that every mountain is leveled. See, John is quoting the prophet Isaiah, who is known as the evangelist of the Old Testament. Because there's no other prophet that has prophesied as much about Jesus as Isaiah. He is the evangelist because he points to Jesus. And here he's saying, every mountain will be made low. Every obstacle will be leveled. Every blockage will be removed. I want you to see this, that Jesus didn't come to move mountains once in a while. See, moving mountains once in a while is not Jesus' thing. Moving mountains is not his side hustle. Jesus doesn't have a side hustle. Moving mountains is his night to five. It's what he does. It's his main thing. Moving mountains is his uh, uh, work in our lives. And that's what God wants to do for you every single day. But I believe too many people, too many Jesus followers, too many Christians settle. This is what happens. We come to the edge of the mountain. We begin to move forward with God. And we move as long as the path is plain. And then we get to the edge of the mountain. To the bottom of the mountain where it begins. The mountain begins. And then we settle right there. We stop moving forward. And I came up with a term for these uh, Christians this week. Not these Christians, you know. Just the group that do that. And I call them Denver Christians. Denver Christians. 
I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to fly into Denver. I've never been to Denver, but I've been to the Denver airport, so I guess I've been to Denver, but I haven't been to the city of Denver. I hear it's a great city. It's an amazing city. But if you have ever flown west from New York into Denver for a layover or just into Denver, it's a beautiful flight because all the from east to central United States, it's all green. You have trees, you have some hills, but it's beautiful. You see the cities and you see uh, this rich green. And then you start getting into Colorado and, 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 and then into Denver, the plane makes a turn and you see the Rocky Mountains, snow-capped mountains, just this beautiful line. It's a clear line where the mountains start and you see them in the horizon. And then you see Denver sitting right at the bottom. And the clear, the clear picture that you get is that as the great American expansion moved west they got to the Rockies and they were like nope we're staying right here we're not gonna go there we're gonna stay right here in the plain let the mountains protect us <laughs> and now we have Denver it's great we have friends there well let me ask you this what's your Denver I'm not talking about the city. The city is great. But I'm talking about that moment in life when, when you settled. The area in your life when y you knew you were supposed to progress, but you came to the bottom of a mountain and you settled there and you can't stop but wondering what's on the other side. What would happen if you were to take on that challenge? What would happen if you were to take that step toward moving beyond that big mountain, that big obstacle in front of you? See, our problem is that we come to God with this idea that we have to fight all of our battles by ourselves. And we ask, and we hope, but we don't know that He's fighting our battles. We only hope, but we don't know for sure. And because we're conditioned to think that it's just us against the mountain, that that obstacle is that difficulty, that challenge is ours alone to face. We settle. Of course we settle. It's too big for us. But I'm here to tell you today that we serve a God who moves mountains. We serve a God who can take you beyond your, your, your limitations. We serve a God who is calling us to live by faith. He's calling you to live by faith this year. God is calling you to live by faith in 2023 so you can get past these mountains in your path. Let's read our theme scripture for the series. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. Uh, Jesus said, Have faith in God. These are the words of Jesus. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. What a promise. Believe that you have received, and it will be yours. Jesus introduced us. He introduced you and I to a new way of facing challenges. This is a new way of facing mountains. And I want to encourage you to make a decision today that in 2023, you're going to use Jesus' strategy. That you're going to let go of your strategy. And you're going to use Jesus' strategy to face mountains. Whatever you face, whatever your challenge is, whatever problem you, comes at you this year, let me encourage you to 
not go and try everything else first and then say, all right, God, I guess I'll try you. <sighs> I guess I've got to go to church and pray for you. I couldn't do it myself. No. Don't try everything else and then come to God defeated. Come to God first as a victor and not a victim. See, faith doesn't put God last. Faith puts God first. If you come to God last, that's not faith. That's hoping for a miracle. That's what they call it, a Hail Mary pass. Faith is to put God first. And I pray that you will have faith in God this year. That you will place your faith in the Lord first. Okay, I want to encourage you today because there's a few mountains that Jesus already removed for you. He's already working and he's already done the work. And I want to highlight two mountains that Jesus moved for you already. And they're already moved. They've already, he's already done the work. The first one is, very simply, Jesus already moved the mountain of sin. Sin has already been moved. See, sin is a word that is heavy, and you, you might contextualize it differently depending on your history. Depending on what you've read and what you've experienced, the word sin might even bring pain to your heart. But I want to give you a, a fresh idea of sin today. I've taught on this here before. And I just want to recap you and remind you. The word sin is an archery term. It's an ancient archery term. And it means simply to miss the bullseye. That as you, as you pull on the, on the arrow and, and the, the, what is the bow and arrow? Yeah, the bow and arrow. And you let go. If you miss the bullseye, that, that used to be called a sin. That's, a, that's a, a, an archery term. And sin is part of us. It's part of our fallen nature. It's, it's, it's in our fallen nature. Look at what Jesus said in chapter 8 of John. Jesus answered to the, to the disciples who were, used to be Jewish and, and are following him. He says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I love that passage. That passage is quoted, right? If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. If the sun has set us free, we are free indeed. But Jesus says something interesting on verse 35. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. What is Jesus saying there? If you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, and then the slave does not in, uh, remains in the house forever. See, what Jesus is saying here is that sometimes we can come to God and serve God because of sin. And that's what was happening in his days. A lot of people, uh, when they looked at the law, it was about the sin. It wasn't about God. It was about the sin. And what laws you transgressed and law, law, laws you weren't able to pick, keep, keep up. And wh what, was your, what was your sin regarding to the law? And so what Jesus is saying is, what happens sometimes is that you can come to God before of your sin, because of your sin. Did you know that? Did you know that you can have a relationship with God based on sin? Have you ever thought about that? See, if, if you come to God because of sin, and you worship because of sin, and you pray because of sin, you're still a servant to sin. Let me explain a little different. Let me, let me say you have, let's say you have an anger problem, that that's your issue. Let's say, let's say you have maybe a... a, a 
immorality problem. Or maybe you have a lying problem. That's your sin. That's the thing that you battle. That's the thing that, that makes you miss the mark. And it makes you miss the mark constantly. So you don't like it and you're trying to take care of it. And you might have more than one. You might have a whole list. In fact, you might be embarrassed at how big your list is. And you have this and you're dealing with it. But you're here. And it's good that you're here. Maybe you're watching or listening. It's good that you're here. This is the place you should be. Because there's only one permanent solution to sin in the world. One. And his name is Jesus. That's it. There's one permanent solution to sin in the world. He's the only one who takes away the sin of the world. Of the world. So you've come to the right place. This is the place to be. But if you pray because of that sin, and if, if you come to church on Sundays, and you get in your car, and you're here because of that sin, because you're trying to take care of that, and your entire motivation to live a Christian life is sin, are you free? Are you really free? If that's the basis of your relationship with God, if what gets you here on Sunday mornings is the worst part of you that you were afraid of and you're trying to get rid of, are you free? No. You're still a slave to sin. And eventually, you will leave. I've seen it again and again. I mean, I was at church when the size of that kid and my kid. And I've seen it again and again. People come with a problem that they want to solve and they can't take their minds off of the problem. They can't repent. They're just trying to manage it. They're trying to be stronger than it. They can't. And you may say, how do I solve this problem? Jesus said it. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Well, how, how, how does that happen, J.D.? How does that happen? How can I be free? I want to be free. We go back a few, a few verses. This is what Jesus told the Jews who had believed him. Verse 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we can all be set free because Jesus has already removed the mountain of sin. How, do we, how, how can we be set free? Simply. You abide in His Word, what He has said. You allow your heart to cling to it. You become truly His disciple. What does that mean? Every day your goal is to live like Jesus, is to be like Him, is to love like Him, is to have a relationship with God like Him. And then if you do that, you will know the truth. And what is the truth going to do? The truth will set you free. Look at what uh, the Apostle John wrote in his letter. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate in, in, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has removed the mountain of sin, not just for you and me, but for the whole world. We don't have to deal with it anymore. Here's the second mountain that Jesus removed. Death. The second mountain that Jesus removed is death. Now, when you and I think of death, 
We think of the sorrow and the pain and the grief of saying goodbye to a loved one or, or maybe the day where we're, when we're going to leave this earth and our, our body is going to expire and will cease to exist in this earthly body. But Jesus has removed that too. Because He is the resurrection and the life. And in Him, we have eternal life. Jesus removed the spirit of death in us as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verses five, 4 and 5 says, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the greatest love with which He loved us, the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, when you and I were apart from God, we were dead to the things of God. There was death in our spirit. We were cut off from the source of life. And, and we didn't have access to God's love, God's peace, God's joy, and what He has done for us. And because of it, the purpose of your life, what He had called you to do, was lifeless in you. It was lifeless in you. Sure, you can tap into things that you like. Sure, you can use your gifts and talents for things in this world and, and you know, move about. But it's not until you connect to God, it's not until you receive the life of God that the life of God enters your heart and you discover the true reason why He made you. The true, your true reason for living. Your, the meaning that you have in life. And Jesus is our supreme example of this. He lived this. He showed us how to do this. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote and how he puts it. Romans chapter 9, verses 9, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, talking about us, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus came to remove barriers. And he already removed the two biggest barriers that we had against us. The two barriers that the Bible introduces in Genesis, sin and death. Jesus came and removed them. And He came to remove barriers in our lives. He came to set us free. He came so that we could become a child of God. So that you could live for God. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with what He has called you to do? I told you earlier not to be a Denver Christian. If you read a little bit about Denver and Colorado, you will learn that just west of Denver, for those who ventured to climb those mountains, to venture to take on those mountains, they discovered the Colorado Mineral Belt. And the Colorado Mineral Belt is filled with gold. It's filled with silver, precious stones and metals. So are you facing a mountain today? Let me encourage you, don't settle because there's gold on the other side. There's precious things on the other side. Are you facing a mountain in your marriage? Don't give up. There's gold on the other side. Are you facing a mountain right now in your relationship with your kids? Don't give up. Keep moving forward. There's gold on the other side. If there's a blockage in your career, your dreams, things that you're trying to solve, don't give up. Move forward. We serve a God who moves mountains. There is gold on the other side. 
He called you to move forward and not settle. And I want you to take advantage of two things in 2023 as you decide to live by faith. Let's grow in the kind of faith that moves mountains. Let's grow in the kind of faith that moves us forward. And and I want to encourage you to go for the dream that God put in your heart. Just go for it. Just go for it. Last year, I was at a trip, a pastor's trip. Uh, We went to a place where we can go fishing. And one of the guides was a kid, and he was telling me a story about his family. He was from Arkansas. He was probably in his mid-20s. And he was telling me the story about how his grandfather was really good friends with this other man at church. And they were part of this Presbyterian church, and they served together, and, uh, and, and they were leaders in the church. And, and this man approached his grandfather with a business idea. And he said, hey, I have this business idea. I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to start my own company. And I'm wondering if you want to be an investor. You can be a silent investor if you want, but I want to give you 10% of the company if you want to come in and invest. His grandfather was, a, my friend's grandfather was a farmer. He had some, some dealings uh, in the city, and he was like, hey, I want you to be a part of it. And his f- grandfather looked at the plan, and he said to his friend, Sam, with all due respect, um, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think this is a good business idea. And so I'm not going to join you in your venture, but I wish you all the luck. Well, that year, Sam Walton left his job at Ben Franklin stores and started a little company called Walmart. Yes. Some of you have heard of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. Walmart is today the biggest employer in the United States with over 2.3 million employees. He was a Christian man uh, who had this idea. And my friend looked at me and said, yes, our family could have owned 10% of Walmart. And uh, I never saw a greater regret in his eyes. <laughs> it's, it's like third generation regret, you know? <laughs> I can't imagine how many times he heard that story, you know? Imagine having to go to Walmart and shop at Walmart. Yeah. Every time your bank account hits a little, oh, we could have been honest of Walmart. Oh, got to pay for college. Here's what I learned with that from that story. Hindsight and vision is always 2020. There's always something you can look back at and say, I should have done that. Oh, man, I could have done that. And then you live in regret. Don't live in regret. Put your eyes on what's ahead. What is ahead? What is God calling you to do? Yeah, you may have made some mistakes. Hopefully not that big of a mistake like that guy. Hopefully you didn't, you didn't like not invest in Walmart. But maybe you've had some things in the past that you're like, ah, oh, man, I should have done that. Don't look at that. Let go of that regret. Give that to God. Look forward because God has new opportunities for you. He has new mountains for you to conquer. He has new things for you to do. And my question for you today is, what is keeping you from believing the dream God has placed in your heart today? What is keeping you? Is it too hard? I hope it is too hard. Because that's what God-sized dreams are. They are too hard for us. Is it a dream that you can't do it alone? I hope so. Because when God puts something in your heart, you cannot do it alone. You need the faith in God, to have faith in God. And I want to light a fire under you today. Just go for it. Go for it. Be wise. Be wise, but don't be lazy. Don't compromise your family. Don't compromise your values. Don't compromise your faith. But don't compromise your potential either. 
Don't compromise the call of God in your life either. Go for it. Some of you, you need to treat it like a second job. You need to look at it and say, you know what, I'm going to apply two, three hours a day on this, and this is going to be like my second job. I'm going, to, I'm going to apply time to this until you build enough momentum so that you can do like Sam Walton and say, you know what, time has come for me to take this step of faith. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do as we get ready to close is, as you go for it, serve God with your everything today. In 2023, serve God with your everything. Let me encourage you to serve God at home, serve God at work, and serve God here at your church. Just serve God. Prioritize your life with God. Prioritize serving the church. Romans 12, 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. This doesn't sound like uh, an option. It sounds like Paul is saying, hey, this is, this is a command. Not only is it a command, this is something that's your decision. You can do this. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So we're going where we're going as a church. It's going to take all of us. It's really going to take all of us. And I believe God has called you here not just to heal you, not just to lift you up, not just to empower you, not just to fill you, but He has called you here so that you can serve others with your talents, your gifts, and your story. Did you know that you have tre treasures inside of you that can bless somebody else? Did you know that your story, even your pain, can be healing to somebody else? That God is calling you, not only so that your own wounds can be healed, but that you can show your scars to other people and say, hey, I've been through this. Let me tell you, God can take you through these moments in your life. Your victories can serve somebody else. Your, your challenges can serve somebody else. And so I want to encourage you to join the team, to link arms, to come together. If you're busy, start with one hour a week. Just come in a little earlier. You can talk to, uh, I'm going to embarrass Eric right now. Eric, just raise your hand. Eric is our first impressions lead. Can you stand? You can look at him, that beautiful beard. That, that, that amazing man. Yeah, yeah. He does jujitsu, so don't mess with him. Don't mess with him. Uh, talk to Eric after church. Say, Eric, I want to I do something. He leads our first impressions team. You will see the return, I promise you. We have people in our team who started on the very first day. In fact, when we started singing, This is amazing grace, right? This is unfailing love. That was the first song we ever sung as a church. And we sung it today. It was a little, it, it took me back. But we have people in our team who have been serving from day one. Osmond is one of them. Dan was with us from day one. Catherine was uh, with us from day one and many others. And their lives are better today, they'll tell you. Their lives are much better today because of it. Listen, it's no secret that I love the church. I love the church. And the reason why is because I believe there's no other place, there's no other institution, there's no other body, there's no other organization where you can use your, your talents to bless others and where we can minister to people from birth until they cross the veil into heaven. There's no other institution that can do what the Church of Jesus Christ does. We have, we have a, a group of people here that some of you, you would never be friends if you weren't for the church. You would never be connected if you weren't for the church. But praise God that we can come together from all backgrounds, all places. Uh, when we started the church, we counted. We had about 14 countries represented in our first year. And I'm sure that if we do that again, we'll, 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 we'll surpass that number. 
So let me encourage you. Let's join the movement and let's serve God with our everything. Remember, we serve a God that moves mountains. And this year, I believe He will move mountains in your life as we serve together at Connect Community. Do you believe it? Awesome. Amen.